0: the conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman is such a crucial conversation and will bring transformation to her life. I'm gonna go all the way back to the beginning, uh, Genesis chapter one, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, One of those verses I think that as kids usually, I I know I learned when I was in kids' church, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that when God created, um, when he created the earth, when he created humanity, Uh, The world was perfect. We, We know that because when we look in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and especially even in Genesis chapter 3, we see that there is perfect fellowship, there is perfect communion that existed between God who was holy and between his creation. We know that because when we read in in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis 3, we see things like like God is able to walk through the garden with Adam and, and, and with Eve. So there is such a closeness that existed between Adam and Eve and God that they were able to have conversation. They walked through the garden in the cool of the day together. There was an intimacy, there was a closeness that existed between God and between humanity. We also see, and, and, and um, this is not a teaching on Genesis chapter 2 by any means, but we see this statement at the end of chapter 2. This is very significant. Genesis 2 verse 24 it says that Adam and Eve, they were naked, they were exposed, but they had no shame. This was before sin entered in the equation. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. What happens is that sin marred, sin destroyed the perfect order and creation of God. So when sin enters into the equation, when Adam and Eve disobey or rebel God, sin enters into the equation and things begin to change. The, the perfect fellowship that Adam and Eve, the, the closeness that they once knew, that they once had in the garden with God, uh, no longer existed. As soon as sin entered into the equation, it said that Adam and Eve, they recognized that they were naked. They were ashamed. And so what did they do? They, they went and they sewed fig leaves together to, to cover themselves up. So shame and guilt entered into the equation once sin uh, came into the equation as well. And so this perfect, this perfect relationship, this perfect order that existed was destroyed when sin entered into the equation. Adam and Eve, they saw their nakedness, they were ashamed, and they tried to cover it up by sowing fig leaves together. And they even tried, and this is, this is probably one of the saddest things in, in scripture is once sin entered into the equation, Adam and Eve, they tried to hide from God. Uh, thinking that they could hide from, from God Almighty, they tried, they hid behind a bush trying to hide from the presence of God. And I want you to hear this statement because this will kind of move us into the story here in just a moment. The Bible is clear that sin separates humanity from God. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, everything that God is doing, he is doing to bridge the gap, the distance that exists between a holy God and a sinful people. We know when we move into the New Testament, that that changes through the person of Jesus Christ. So, so in the Old Testament, there is still this gap that exists. You have a holy God, we've talked about this before, that exists over here, and you have a sinful people, and there is this chasm that exists. There is this gap, and there's no way for a sinful people to be in relationship with a holy God until Jesus Christ comes into the equation. When Jesus goes to the cross, he pays the price for our sin, for all of humanity's sin, so that we can have right relationship with God. So the Bible is clear that sin separates us from God. When we sin, when we, and this is a great way I know to start a sermon talking about sin, don't worry, there is hope. If this is all you hear in this message, you're gonna leave pretty disappointed. So I need you to stay with me the whole time this morning. But when we sin, when we struggle with shame and guilt. And even when we find ourselves overwhelmed by brokenness and immersed in one failure after another, we tend to hide from God. And hide from others. That's, I think, just the reality of human nature. When we sin or when we're overwhelmed, when we feel broken, when we feel like we have no value, no worth, I think the tendency of humanity is we we start hiding from God. We hide from other people. We we don't want to have a conversation with anyone. We start thinking these thoughts that we aren't good enough, that we aren't worthy enough that we're too broken to be fixed. Those Those are the sinful thoughts that start going through our minds. Those are really the thoughts of the enemy that he implants in us, that you aren't worthy, you're too far gone, you're not able to be fixed, or you're too broken. God doesn't love you. When we sin, when we struggle with shame and guilt, that's what the enemy starts to do. He starts planting those seeds, those thoughts in our minds that you have no value, that you have no worth, that you're too far gone. You messed up one too many times. God can't save you. Anymore. Those are the thoughts that the enemy begins to plant in our minds and in our hearts. And so then what happens is we start trying to fix our own brokenness. We start trying to fix our own failures and even our sin by trying all sorts of earthly remedies. We try another relationship. We try another job. We try this and that. And every single time, like we saw with this woman in the first part of the conversation, she tried so many different things and it left her empty. It left her broken. Nothing was able to satisfy the longing of the woman in John chapter four, except Jesus Christ and the living water that he would offer her. We are still left in that same hopeless, broken situation. This is where I say all of that because this is where the Samaritan woman in John chapter four found herself. And unfortunately, it's the place that many people today, even including Christians, find themselves in John chapter 4 let's look at it John chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 let's read this story then we're going to unpack this conversation that Jesus has with this woman Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John this is verse 1 now we're in verse 2 though Jesus himself didn't baptize them his disciples did verse 3 so he left Judea and he returned to Galilee Verse number four, I want you, we we talked a little bit about this last week. I'm going to focus on this again today. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was, um, was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, Jesus said, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I will I I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And here's where the conversation is going to turn. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water, then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water look at verse 16 then jesus says go and get your husband now it seems like an odd they're talking about living water they're talking about this well uh, the conversation seems to be more focused on what jesus can can offer her regarding this water and then all of a sudden jesus says to this woman we're going to talk about this but out of nowhere it appears that jesus says now go get your husband jesus told her i don't have a husband the woman replied jesus said you're right You don't have a husband for you have had five and you aren't even married to the one that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews? So now she's going to change the subject. She didn't really want to talk about her relational problems. Uh, She's not interested in that. So she changes the subject. She says, sir, um, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it? Claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth the woman then said i know the messiah is coming the one who is called christ when he comes he will explain everything to us and i want you to look at this last phrase because this is where we will end this morning and just we'll get there we're not there yet verse 26 then jesus told her i am the i am the messiah i am messiah Let me just, I want to unpack this just for a few moments this morning. There's kind of three, um, I want to unpack the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well, because in the end, we're going to see there is a beautiful invitation. There we we see in verse 26 that Jesus is going to offer this woman at the well when he says, I am the Messiah. But I want to unpack this conversation. There's kind of three phases uh, to this discussion that Jesus has with the woman. The first aspect of the conversation is the sin that is exposed. Um, I want you to recall just for a moment, if you have your Bibles with you, look again over at verse number 10 because the woman had only a limited understanding of the gift that Jesus was offering her. Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. What we see here in, in, in this conversation in John chapter four is the woman came to the well to draw water like she did every single day. Every single day at noontime, she would come time after time after time again to draw water and then to return to her village. And what we see here in this conversation, Jesus says, if you only knew the gift, what I had to offer you, you wouldn't be asking, or you wouldn't be um, asking, I wouldn't be asking you for a drink, you would be asking me, Jesus says, for a drink instead. And what's very interesting here is this, when Jesus refers to this gift, he's talking to this woman, and, and really the woman is, is only referring to something, this is why you don't use iPads, um, and there we go. Um, sorry about that, some random note just popped up on my iPad, and, and that's why I use paper and pen, not technology, all right? That's a whole different lesson. Uh, let, me, let me keep going. So the woman is longing, she's longing for this living water that Jesus has to offer, to offer her. But her motivation, well, this is very interesting, her motivation was actually personal convenience. She didn't want to have to keep coming back to the well. We, we see in, before the conversation turns, before he asks her the question and say, go get your husband, and, and they enter into that part of the conversation, we see that the woman says, I, I, well, I'll take this living water that you're referring to. And she says, I'll take it because then I won't have to be thirsty again. And then she says, I won't have to keep coming back to the well. So for the woman, she didn't quite grasp the gift that God was referring to, that Jesus was referring to. When he talked about living water, he was talking about something that would quench her spiritual soul, something that would bring new life, something that would offer her eternal life. She didn't quite understand it. She saw the invitation that Jesus had and she saw it as as something that would maybe make it a little bit more convenient for her. When she heard Jesus say, well, I can give you living water and you won't have to keep coming back to the well, that struck something in her. You know what? that's gonna make it a little bit easier for me. I'm not gonna have to keep coming back day after day after day to the same exact well. And so the woman at first, she heard what Jesus was saying, but she didn't quite fully grasp or understand the gift that Jesus was referring to. Her motivation this entire time was personal convenience. She didn't wanna have to keep coming back to the well over and over again. Now, what's very interesting, I, I mentioned to you that the conversation seems to move in a different direction. Why, what, what stirred Jesus um, to steer the conversation away from the living water toward her, her relational and her home life? We read in John chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. Um, it'll be up on the screen. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And she says, I don't, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. So they're talking about living water, And Jesus is talking about this gift that he he will give to her that will bring her new life. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus says, now go and get your husband. Now, it seems like a very odd request in, in light of the context of their conversation. I mean, where, where does this come from? Why is Jesus even bringing up um, her marital situation? Because there's no evidence in the text that they're talking about her relationships. He's just talking to her about living water, about giving her something that will bring her eternal life. But then out of nowhere, Jesus says to the woman at the well, now go and get your husband. And kind of sheepishly, I, I believe she replies, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. Now, there's a few things here I want to make note of. First of all, Jesus obviously is God. Uh, so her, her marital situation could have been revealed to him by the Father in heaven in order to address her own sinfulness. Because what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to expose this woman's brokenness. He's going to expose the shame and the guilt that is, that is really beating her up inside. Because when they start having a conversation about living water... Um, her brokenness, that shame, that sinfulness that's really beating her up inside isn't exposed yet. But once Jesus says to the woman, go and get your husband, now all of a sudden things are starting to become exposed. She's a little bit more vulnerable because she replies to Jesus, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus will look at her and say, you're right. The one that you're, you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with isn't even your husband, And so it's very possible Jesus was both 100% God and 100% human. So it's very possible as God, will, God the Father will do in several places, he will reveal certain things to his son Jesus. So it's very possible that that, that that was revealed to him in the first place. What we also see is that exposing her sin would be the first step to dealing with the sin in order to receive the gift of God that Jesus was talking about. If this woman was going to receive the gift, the, the living water that Jesus was talking about, she had to deal with her sin. She had to deal with her brokenness because at, at the time being, she's remaining hidden. She's, she's not exposing those things that's, that's keeping her from the presence of God. And so when Jesus asked the question, now all of a sudden, her, her sin, her shame, her guilt is out in front. It's now the focus of their conversation. Now it can be dealt with. I, I think about, I mean, if, if we think about it for just a minute, there's, there's things in our life that I think if we, um, if there's struggles or things that, that we're wrestling with or, or addictions, things that we can't quite get rid of, we're not gonna deal with it until we expose it, until it's out in the open, where, where we can have accountability, where we can have others uh, speaking into our lives. And so this woman, she's keeping these things hidden. There's a reason that she's going to the well at noon. There's a reason that she's going uh, to the well at a time when no one else is there because she doesn't want to enter into a conversation about her brokenness. She wants to avoid people. I think about it for just a minute. I mean, if if my kids do something they're not supposed to do, um, usually they don't come running to mom or dad right away to tell us what they did. Usually they'll try to fix it themselves, right? They try to they try to maybe hide it or or kind of put it underneath the rug, make sure that nobody sees, nobody notices. That's what we do when we sin. When there's when there's shame and there's guilt, we don't want to put it out in the open. We try try to fix it ourselves. We try to kind of. Uh, put it underneath the rug so no one else will see it. But when Jesus asked this woman the question, they're talking about living water. She doesn't fully understand the gift of God that's gonna be offered to her. But when Jesus says to her, go get your husband, all of a sudden now everything has been exposed. And she replies, she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus knew that the gift that God was offering was not just a gift that she would enjoy herself, but it was a gift that she would share with others. We're gonna see next week that once she begins to understand the the beauty and the significance of the living water, the the gift that Jesus was offering, she's gonna return back to her Samaritan village. And she's gonna go start telling every single person she can, you need to come meet this guy that told me everything that I ever did. And she does that because the gift of God that Jesus is referring to is not a gift that we, we keep to ourselves it's not a gift that just myself, that I myself am gonna, I'm am going to enjoy. It's not just a gift that you're going to enjoy by yourselves. But when we truly receive the gift of God that Jesus is referring to, eternal life, it should motivate us. It should stir us to want to share it with any and every person we can. I, I've said this before. If something good happens in your life, If there's something significant that happens, whether it's the birth of a new baby, whether it's a new job, whether it's something that you accomplished, you don't just keep that information to yourself, do you? You look for every person you can. I mean, we've got social media today, so we post it on Facebook. Um, We start posting things. We start telling all of our friends. We start calling people because it's something good that happened, and, and it should stir in us to want to share that with other people. And the same thing is true, when we truly encountered the person of Jesus Christ, when our life and your life, when it's been changed and transformed, that should stir in us to wanna share it with as many people as possible. And so I think that one of the reasons why Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, and says to her, go get your husband. I don't think that was just an out of the blue kind of statement that he made. He wanted to expose. He, he knew the heart of this woman and he wanted to begin to work on her. He wanted her to receive this gift that he had, but in order for her to receive it, her sin had to be dealt with first. And so he looks at this woman and he says, go get your husband. He knew that if she was going to truly enjoy this gift, one of the first people she would tell would be her husband, somebody very close to her. I mean, if something great happens to me, um, if I have a great day at work or, or good news that that maybe a good report that I heard, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna call my wife, I'm gonna tell her. I'm gonna tell her first, I'm gonna begin to share that information with her. So I think Jesus knew that, that in order for her to understand that this was not a gift that was just for her, but it needed to be shared with others, he poses the question and tells her to go get her husband. And then as the conversation continues... Jesus begins to fully expose her sin or shame and her brokenness. Look at John chapter four, verse 17. It says, I don't have a husband. The woman replied. At this point, she's probably thinking, I should have stayed home today. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have come to the well. Uh, maybe I should have came at like 1230, not noon. But uh, she says, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. I want you to keep in mind again, there is a reason, and and I believe this, there is a reason that this woman came to the well every single day at noon. She came to avoid conversations like this. She didn't wanna sit around with the rest of the ladies at the well, drawing water. I mean, that, that wasn't just a quick process. They didn't just come and, in 30 seconds. You know, they had their water in return. This was a process. And so she knew that if she came at new, noon, there's a good chance that she could avoid other people. She didn't wanna talk about her brokenness. She didn't wanna talk about her sin, the guilt that was beating her up inside. So she came at a very odd hour to this well to draw water. She did it to avoid a conversation, like this to avoid other people she was still trying to keep her brokenness hidden from others i think it's human nature to hide our sins yet when we do that it taints our worship and it keeps us from experiencing god's presence and it leads often to a life of shame hurt and regret i think of of people in scripture think about david for just a minute david um was the second king of israel um we oftentimes know of David as the one who uh, killed, the Goli- uh, killed the giant, Goliath. But he was referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. A man that, that was faithful to God, a man that was, was not only faithful to him, but was faithful to Saul, who was a wicked king, um, who kind of went off the path that God had called him to. And, and David, who was a man after God's own heart, David messed up as well. David... Um, one day when he was king, uh, his army uh, went out to battle to fight, and David decided to stay behind that day. He decided he was, as king, he was going to hang out in, in his palace and his court, and, and he was just going to take it easy while everybody went out to fight. And so David stays behind. His army goes out into battle, and David sees this, this woman by the name of Bathsheba who is bathing on the roof. Um... Obviously, the, the home structures looked a little bit different than they do today. Uh, first of all, I don't think anyone's bathing um, outside in, in this temperature on any roof. So, but David sees this, this beautiful woman, and, and this woman, Bathsheba, was married to a guy by the name of Uriah. But David, who was king, lusted after this woman. won't tell you the whole story, but ends up having a relationship with her. Bathsheba gets pregnant. And so what does David do is usually what happens, human nature is we try to cover up our sin. We try to cover up the shame and the guilt. David tried everything he could. He, he invited Uriah home from battle, and he said, you know, you've done well. You've, you've done great. Here, come and eat and feast with us, and then go and, and, and sleep with your wife. I mean, that's, that's read the scriptures, okay? It's in there. Um, that's exactly what he says, because he's trying to cover up his own sin. He's trying to cover up what he did, the rebellion against God. He tried that one night, two night, but but Uriah, who was a man after God, said no my 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 crew's out there fighting I'm not gonna go in here and have a great time I'm gonna I'm gonna wait until the rest of my crew comes home eventually David he will send Uriah to the front of the line with the intent of having Uriah killed. Uriah ends up being killed. David David later will repent Um, We talked about that a few weeks ago. Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance. But, But we see, even with this, just like the woman in John chapter four, it is part of human nature when we sin, when we rebel against God, when there's shame and guilt that we're wrestling with, our tendency is to wanna hide it. We don't want it exposed. We don't want people to know what's going on. We wanna hide that sin, that shame, and that guilt. And so that's why the woman comes to the well at noon to avoid a conversation such as this. But when she leaves the well that day, everything is out in the open. Her, relation, her relational mess and screw-ups, they're on the table. Her regret, her shame, they're on the table. Her life is the epitome of brokenness. And she likely felt like her life had no value and no worth. And so what's very interesting is that she will then try to divert the conversation away from her own brokenness. We see the human distraction comes into play. Jesus says, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus exposes her screw-ups, her her mess-ups right there uh, in that conversation. And so the Samaritan woman tries to change the subject of the conversation. We read in John chapter 4, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So, So it goes from living water to go get your husband, now she's gonna talk about how Jews and Samaritans worship. So it feels like this conversation's going all over the place. But again, it's human nature to wanna get the focus off of my brokenness, off of my sin. So she's gonna try to divert this, this conversation a different direction. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? I'm not going to get into the, the, the weeds on this, but, but the Jews, their place of worship was in Jerusalem where the temple existed. Um, when, we, when we get into the New Testament, there was already set up certain festivals where people would come. Um, three times, at least three times a year, and they would come and they would begin to worship um, in Jerusalem together during the certain festival seasons. But for the Samaritans, they had a different place of worship. Remember, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. The Samaritans only held to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, what was considered the law, but everything else, what the prophets said, what we read in the Psalms and the Proverbs and everything else besides those first five books, the Samaritans Uh, the Samaritans rejected altogether. So they they considered Mount Gerizim a place where you'll read about in Deuteronomy where blessings were given to Israel. They considered Mount Gerizim as their place of worship. And so now she's trying to get the focus off of herself and her brokenness, and now she's entering into kind of this political conversation. You know, tell me, you say that Jews worship in, in Jerusalem. Well, we think it's here at Mount Gerizim. Explain that to me, the woman says, Uh, You're a prophet, you seem to know these things, so can you expound on this just a little bit? She attempts to move the conversation away from her brokenness onto the division that existed between Jew and Samaritan. Uh, Her focus focus was all about the right place of worship, which was a hot topic between these two groups. Uh, I'm going to put a note up here, I want you to hear this. Worship that is offered to God is not dependent on places and things. Genuine worship is spiritual and based on one's heart. And that's, that's really why Jesus is entering into this conversation with her because it's gonna be all about her heart. It's not about places and things. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about Mount Gerizim. It's not about uh, the temple or their temple. It's not what this conversation is about. Instead, it's about her heart. Her attempt to distract Jesus from her brokenness actually leads to a truth that God was searching for genuine worshipers and the conditions of, condition of one's heart was key. I want you to see this text now. We read it already. I want to focus on one thing here just for a moment. I'm almost done this morning. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews the time is coming, indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking, I want you to hear this. The Father is looking, some translations will say the Father is seeking those who will worship him that way in spirit and in truth. Just quick sidebar here real quickly. Remember earlier on in the text, I think first couple of verses, said that Jesus, um, let me, John chapter four, verse four. Jesus has said that he had to go through Samaria on the way. Remember, he's, he's returning back to where he had come from. And, and so we talked about last week, there were two different ways they could go. There was a shorter route, which was through Samaria, but most Jews didn't take the shorter route because that meant they would have to go through um, a village, a territory with a group of people they absolutely hated. But it says in John chapter four, verse four, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And then when I read this verse, verse 23, the time is coming, indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit of truth. The Father is looking or seeking for those who will worship him that way. What's very interesting about that is, I don't, I don't know if Jesus really knew. Um, again, he was God, yes, he could have known and the Father could have revealed it to him. But he felt compelled that day to take the shorter route, to take the route through Samaria the route that most Jews would not take but on that particular day when he's returning home he felt compelled in his heart to go the route through Samaria and when we get to this text we see that the father is looking for those who will worship him he is seeking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth and what's very interesting about this is that this entire time this entire conversation, what we see behind the scenes, we see a heavenly father who was seeking, who was looking for this woman. Jesus may not have known that, that he was gonna have this exact encounter, but he was compelled in his heart and he was obedient. He went the way that, that God the father was leading him. And when he came to that well that day, he encountered that woman. He had this conversation and her life is gonna be radically, not just her life, but her entire village is gonna be radically transformed because we have a heavenly father. I want you to hear that we have a heavenly father who is seeking you, me, and everyone. He is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And what a, what a comforting, and, and I just wanna challenge you this morning. Maybe, maybe there's a time where you felt compelled, to maybe not, maybe to, to knock on somebody's door to make a phone call, um, or, or, or to have a conversation with somebody. You may not know why in your spirit, in your heart, you felt compelled to do that, but I would suggest to you there's a very good chance that you felt compelled because the Holy Spirit was really stirring in you. You need to speak with that person. You may not know what that conversation's gonna look like, but, but we feel compelled to do that because we serve a heavenly Father who is seeking, who is seeking those who are broken. He is searching for those who are, who are far from him, those who... Are lost um that's just a sidebar that was not in in my notes but i I just i want you to really i want you to see the heart of the father that we serve we we serve a god who is searching for who is seeking after those who are far and near you are probably where you're at today because the heavenly father was seeking after you even before i pursued him he was pursuing me you and all of humanity and so we serve an incredible and faithful God. The final point is this, and this is really where I want to land this morning and, and be the, the remainder of our time. I'm going to talk about the divine invitation. And I'll bring this, um, bring this to a close here. The woman said in John chapter 4, verse 25, uh, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, the woman said, he will explain everything to us. Now, it's very interesting. She says that. She doesn't recognize, still doesn't recognize that Jesus, the one she is talking about, the Messiah that she's referring to, is sitting there with her at the well having this conversation. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am he. I am the one that you were referring to. One way to to really translate this, this would not be a great way if you're writing a paper or something like that in English, but, but this is really what Jesus is saying. I that speak to you, I am. That's what Jesus is saying to the woman. I that speak to you, the one that's sitting here right now with you at the well, and when you talk about the Messiah who is called the Christ, he's saying, that's me. I'm the one that you are referring to. I am here in your midst. One writer says this, Jesus is more than either Jew or Samaritan had comprehended in the word Christ. He is the answer of God to the sin in the world. When Jesus says to the woman, I am the Messiah, what Jesus is really saying to her is he is giving her an invitation, come near to me, draw near to me. The person that you speak of the person that you're referring to, this Messiah, the Christ, that's me talking to you. And so when Jesus says to her, essentially what he's doing is he is inviting the woman who is, who is dealing with shame and guilt and brokenness. He is inviting this woman to draw near to her. And I want to just share with you this morning to us today, that same invitation that was given to the woman at the well in John chapter four, to draw near to Jesus is the same invitation that is available to you, to me, and all of humanity. I want you to hear this. Christ alone can heal our brokenness. Christ alone can cleanse us from our failures. Christ alone can forgive us our sins. One of my favorite passages in scripture, Psalm 103 Verse nine, he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of heavens above the earth. Verse 12, he has removed our sins as far as the east is. From the West. How many are thankful that He has removed our sins as far as the East is from the West? Christ alone can forgive our sins. When the woman came to the well that day, she was broken. She was beat up. She felt like she had no value, no worth whatsoever. She came to that well at noon so she could avoid any conversation about her sin. But the moment she encountered the person of Jesus Christ, her sin was exposed. She tried to distract the conversation and move it onto something else. But Jesus draws her back and reminds her. I'm the one that's been seeking after you. And I am the one, Jesus says, that can heal you, that can forgive you, that can cleanse you, and your life is indeed valuable. I want you to hear this this morning. Christ is not afraid of your broken pieces, your mess, or your chaos. I wanna say that again this morning. Christ is not afraid. As afraid as you may be with your own brokenness, with your own past Guess what? Christ is not afraid of that. Instead, just like he said to the woman, he is inviting you and me to draw near to him where he will cleanse us and he will make all things new. Um, Yvonne, if you wanna come, um, wanna end. I really needed two pots. I needed one that was shattered. This one is not. I'm not gonna shatter this because someone gave this to me, all right? Um, but I want I want to just illustrate this for you this morning, and then we'll close together. Um, the Samaritan woman, uh, the Samaritan woman's life reflected. If I had one, I didn't like I said I didn't bring a shattered pot, but just pretend like this is shattered and it has lots of cracks in it for a minute, okay? That's what those are. But the Samaritan woman, her life represented a cracked pot she was broken she had cracks here cracks there her relationships were all screwed up the woman or the man that she was with wasn't even her husband she had had five husbands and so she she was just uh, she was a train wreck physically speaking humanly speaking her life was broken it's much like this cracked pot Uh, when we think about at least in our context here in america if something's broken if something's cracked if something you know something breaks that that seems beyond repair usually what we do is we just eh, well there's a trash can over here I'll throw this cracked pot in the trash it's no good anymore it doesn't have any value um, can't use it i don't want to look at a cracked pot anyways i want to see something that's you know has no cracks in it that that's usually our tendency something breaks if something's broken if if i if i break my you know, if I break a mirror at home and glass shatters everywhere, I'm going to sweep up all the glass and I'm going to throw it into the trash can because it's no good anymore. It has no value, no purpose. I can't do anything to it. And a lot of times that's what our life looks like. And that's usually how we feel. That's how the woman in John chapter four felt. She, her life was broken. It had hundreds of cracks in it. She had messed up time after time after time again. She failed. She let God down. She didn't even want to talk about it anymore. She wasn't interested in going to the well at a time where she could have casual conversation with some of her friends and some of the ladies. She didn't want to talk, she wanted to be alone. So for her, and maybe you're here in this room today, or maybe you know somebody whose life reflects the life of that Samaritan woman, full of cracks full of holes maybe you know somebody maybe it's you that's sitting here today and you feel like i'm too far gone i'm beyond god's reach now there's no way that i can be restored there's no way that i can be repaired i'm better off if i just get pitched into the trash can and move on that's how the samaritan woman felt she thought her life wasn't worth much she thought she was too far gone life was broken full of cracks it's interesting is there is a i'm not an artist by any means but there is a japanese art form called and i may be botching this name but just work with me Kensuji. what's very interesting about that particular art form is is they see great value and potential in cracked pottery what they'll do is if there's a pot that's been cracked and and broken what we would do is we would throw it away start over what they would do is they would say an artist such as that using that art form is they'll say okay i'm going to take that piece of broken pottery and i'm going to fill in the cracks oftentimes they would use gold silver sometimes even platinum and what looked like a worthless piece of pottery they they put that gold in there they put that silver in there they begin to fill the cracks and they they refinish it they take something that was broken and they make it even more beautiful than it was before. I mean, look at the, not just a blue pot anymore, is it? <laughs> uh, wasn't, it's not plain anymore, but, but the cracks have been filled in. They've been repaired. I didn't pitch this out because it was broken and start all over. Instead, I began to fill in those cracks. Instead, an artist then practicing this art form, they see great value in a cracked pot and they find ways to bring out the best of the imperfections by filling in those cracks. They'll create something even more beautiful out of the cracked pots. Just because your life is broken, steeped in sin, overwhelmed by shame and guilt, Jesus, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. If you're here today and you feel like that woman in John chapter four feel like your life's broken feel like you're too far gone beyond God's reach to repair here to tell you this morning God is not going to just throw you away discard you reject you and move on God's not afraid of your brokenness he's not afraid of your shame he's not afraid of your guilt Instead, just like he did for this woman in John 4, he is, he's inviting us to draw near to him. He's saying, come near to me. I'm not afraid of your brokenness. I'm not afraid of your pain. Instead, come near to me. He has invited us to draw near to him and he will bring, this is, this is key. He can bring beauty out of the ashes.